All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this past week and keeping us well and safe. We pray, continue to pray for our friends who are not doing all that, that well. We pray for Ting, that you would continue to sustain her and help her. And also Janet and Ben DeJour, we ask you to hold them up in your hands and provide for them all that they need and give them resilience. And, and uh, Lord, we uh, are grateful for this day and being able to, to be together. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the class we're getting into. And I pray that we will have fun and enjoy it, but also, Lord, that we will really learn and gain from it. Not that we can turn around and just hammer and criticize people, but that actually our own faith in you and our own recognition of you would be strengthened and we would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Yes, Rod Serling had to show up today. You will see Rod Serling every time we do this class. I'm calling it the heresy zone. And as soon as I did the pic, do the picture up here, you should be hearing the tune. Do, 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 right? Okay, very good. I don't know, that's just where my mind goes. And so, as Rod, in, in good Rod Serling form, there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. Oh, sorry, I have to smoke a cigarette. It is a dimension as vast as space and timeless as infinity. It is a middle ground between light and shadow, between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of, the ima of imagination. It is also an area we call the heresy zone. That's what I'm going to call it, the heresy zone. By the way, Rod Sterling, if you ever read about his history, was Jewish and then uh, became Unitarian so he could marry this girl. But while he was in the Pacific, uh, that's when he, he really gets a little kind of wonky. He just, while he was in the Pacific, just nothing made sense. He watched a, a cargo crate come flying out of the air from a plane and just landed on a guy next to him. And he would just think about the inanity of life. And so sometimes when you watch Twilight Zone, there's some autobiography in there. Very intriguing. Oh, well, enough of Broad Serling. Okay. So we've entered that place called the Heresy Zone. By the way, we have all kinds of jokes about heresy. The name heresy, we have hearsay, somebody said, and then heretics are usually called heretics. That's what I always call them, the heretics. Uh, so if you hear me say that, it's okay. Uh, the, our aims are to become familiar with aspects of our early history. So we actually had a class some years back on the first five centuries. Some of the stuff you hear will go, oh, I vaguely remember some of that, and that'll be good. We need to remember those things and become familiar with that. Uh, we also want to understand several of the major heretical movements and moments uh, of the, for the first five centuries. Okay, we're not going to go through all... 2,000 years. We're just going to do the first five centuries. I think when we get done, you'll start noticing a redundancy, and then as we, as you go from there and you start looking around and conversations, you go, oh, these heresies are alive and well on planet Earth, okay? Next, there we go. Uh, so therefore, reflect on our own day and place in history. I think that's going to be really important. Not so that we sit back all snobby and snooty and talk other people down, but it's important for us to, to as we go through these things, uh, hear them, find out what the, you know, what's the truth about it, then you can see how easy we, people slide in. We slide in to some of these things, and there's reasons for it, and then how can we gently and graciously and charitably start laying out alternatives, the, the alternative. It's not an alternative, it's the truth, laying out the truth, okay? 
In fact, I hope that through the class, as we go through each one of these, you actually listen to what's going on right now, various places, various religious speakers or whatever, and start teasing some of that out and going, what? you know, doesn't this fit in with what we just talked about last week? I hope you do that. I want you to do that kind of stuff. Also, I want us to be equipped to explain to others what we believe and why it is important. This is not so we can sit back and become academics, which is a fine thing to do, but you want to be able to tell your kids, your grandkids, you want to be able to tell your neighbors, you know, here's why we, what we believe and why we believe it. Well, isn't that just like, no, actually, it's not quite like that. Let me explain why it's different, right? So I want us to be able to do that. And then lastly, and you'll hear this, I mean, sorry, you're just going to hear this because I think this is a great verse. Ultimately, we're going to be, uh, uh, the goal is that we'll be able to be aware, to keep stable, and to grow. And the last two verses of Second Peter, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that's our, going to be our theme verses. It just fits with what we're doing Sunday morning as well for, for church, okay? All right, so here's the, any questions up to this point. I think it was Mike Wells that gave us the illustration not too long ago about the uh, Secret Service working with counterfeit. And one of the things they do is here's the real thing. Play with it, touch it, taste it, feel it, whatever. And then you can, and as you get used to that, then you can see the other. So it's a little, hopefully we'll be doing some of that as well. That that'll be that, that sense. All right. So here's the plan. Today we're going to look at what is heresy and how to think about it. And then these are the ones we're going to try to get into. Uh, Ebionites, Marcion, Docetism, Gnosticism, and we'll probably spend a long time there because I wrote a book on it, so sorry. We're just, you're just going to get a lot of Gnosticism. And partly because I see, it, I see it so, I see Gnosticism so prevalent. Montanism, Arianism, Modalism, Manicheanism, Donatists, and then Historianism, and Pelagianism. So I'm planning, that's the plan. Okay? You tired already? Some of these may actually end up dovetailing together and be a little bit shorter to do after we get the, the basic stuff down. So. so let's talk about heresy for a minute. This is the Greek word in the New Testament that we get the word heresy from, hieresis, okay? There's an H, it's a breathing mark right there, so it's hieresis, so that's how you would say it, or write it out in English, hieresis in the New Testament. So we're going to run through with that word, mainly because, partly because we need to see the overarching feel of the word, okay? Because its definition kind of shifts over time, like most of our language does. You know what I mean? Like, we're hip, you know what I mean? Right? Hip means several things, right? It depends on the context. So high races is the same thing. But I want you to get the overall feeling for it. So you're going to have to have your Bible so we can run through some of these things, okay? So let's do this first. So it primarily means at its root, sect or party. And so look at Acts chapter 5. And somebody read for us verse 17. Who would read verse 17? Acts 5, 17. 
So there it's translated as the party of the Pharisees. Okay? I'm sorry? Uh, yeah, party of the Sadducees. Sorry, I was using the revisionist version. Sorry. The party of the Sadducees, right? So that's the Greek word, hierasis, the party, the sect, the group, okay? All right, same thing in chapter 15. And you know this one. This is uh, um, Peter and Silas, or Paul and Silas going to Jerusalem and, um, and all of that. And here's kind of what led up to it. So chapter 15, verse 5. Somebody read for us verse 5. Acts 15, 5. Yes, sir, Scott Levy, I see that hand. Okay, so the, again, the sect of the Pharisees. So there's the sect or party of the Sadducees, the sect or the party of the Pharisees. Okay, and then 26.5. Okay, so according to the strictest party of our religion, right? So according to the strictest sect of our religion. I just want you to see that that's the root concept behind hierasis, the word that we get heresy from, is the sense of sect or party. All right? Here comes a big surprise for us. Christians are called the sect of the Nazarenes. We're sectarians. Sorry. But let's go to chapter 24. We're going to read verse 5 and verse 14. So chapter 24... Verse 5, somebody read verse 5. Who read verse 5? Let me see a hand. Yes, sir, Tony. Okay, verse 14. Who read that? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. And then chapter 28, verse 22. Who would read that? Yes, sir. So this, they call Christians the sect of the Nazarenes just in the same stream as the sect of the Pharisees, the sect of the Sadducees, a particular branch or party of the overarching uh, perspective they have. But I, so that's the, that's the root aspect of high races, is the idea of sect or party. And we ourselves are called the sect of the Nazarenes. So any questions up to this point? I, think it's, I really think it's have, important to keep that underlying concept in mind because... If you pay attention, you begin to realize that this is the kind of thing that happens when you get into what we commonly call heresies. It is very sectarian. Okay? Yes? Right. 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 We're going there. We are going there. We're going. Yes. Thank you. 
Thank you, Alan. But you're right. I want you. To, I just want you to see. It was actually a very common word for different parties, okay, or different groups. But then it's going to become increasingly in the New Testament. It's going to become that which has a specific darker negative connotation to it. Okay. And so we're going to run through these passages. It it actually is used in the New Testament also for Christians who are sectarian, Christians who are divisive and try to shatter splitter, splinter churches. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. 1 Corinthians, which is right after Romans, I want you to know. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. Who'd read that? Okay. So there it's translated as factions. Um, by the way, Paul is not praising the factions. He is actually being very pointedly, almost sarcastic. Okay? Oh, so there must be factions among you, so the truly saved can be evidence to all. He's being sarcastic in a very godly way because he's exposing the inanity of their divisiveness within that congregation. But I want you to notice that Greek word there that's translated as factions is referring to division within the church, causing a division. And these are not what we would consider heretics in that they're not holding necessarily to another view of Jesus or another view of the Trinity. They, are, they would all both be called orthodox, but they're splintering over various reasons within, okay? Uh, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, let me give you the context before we read it. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It'd be nice if I was in Galatians. Here we go. So, there are Christians who are saying you believe in Jesus and you must be circumcised and keep the dietary laws. We call them Judaizers. And then there were Christians who were Gentiles predominantly, mostly the Galatians themselves, who um, were um, recognized that were saved by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, but they're being swayed by the Judaizers. But both would claim in every... Uh, theological category you think of as being orthodox and to be seen as orthodox except in one specific area and it is that they're adding to the faith so i want you to notice how paul what paul calls the works of the flesh he's got a whole list of vices and one of them will be this greek word hierasis so somebody read all right let me read it i'll read it that way nobody can get mad at anybody else it just all be me now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so um, the works of the flesh... Part of the works of the flesh are very divisive. And so he uses that Greek word. It's the last one in verse 20, divisions, hierasis. It, works of the flesh create divisions. Okay? I think that's important for us to recognize. Now here it was on a very important issue. Okay? 
But still, the, the thing is, is that that's, Paul just simply says, here's the works of the flesh. Those who practice these things right, have no guarantee of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the last one is Titus 3.10. Let's go to Titus 3.10. And because it's just one verse, somebody read that for us. So, as for a person who stirs up hyrasis, okay? So, I want you to, I just want us to get in mind that hyrasis is not necessarily what we normally think of, not, not necessarily what we think of as heresy. At its very root, it is very party-oriented. It is, and then as it works in the church, it becomes very divisive and sectarian. All right, does that make sense? All right, and so... Um, it's extremely important to keep that in mind because that really ends up being one of the things you notice with heresy properly so properly called is that it is extremely divisive. But then it also this also puts a correction on us to think about wow, what is the major what is one of the major emphases in the New Testament? Every New Testament writer, every New Testament writer stresses it either emphatically or by implication stresses it all the way through from Romans to Revelation and what's the major emphases? Huh? Unity and love, right? Jesus' greatest command. Love one another as I have loved you. Just as, just, that's how the whole world will know that you're my people, right? It is a top drawer issue. And it's, it's odd that we want to make other things a top drawer issue when it's that Jesus' new commandment and the unity of the church around Jesus, and I'm not talking about just unity with can we, you know, Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Not that. It's got to be very truth-oriented. But it is a big deal. Okay? And as good Presbyterians, we love to split everything. They don't call us a split piece for nothing. Right? It's a joke. All right? I was at a Baptist college one time, so this is a Baptist theologian telling me this one. He says, yeah, yeah, you know, we have a, a new Baptist doll just came out. You wind it up, sit on the table, and it splits. I said, man, we could use that for Presbyterians. It's great. But that's unfortunate that that's the trademark because it should be the last thing we even think about doing. We've got to exhaust everything else. Okay, and we'll get more into that as time goes by. All right, so here's where the word, and just so happens providentially, I did not plan this out, but it just so happened providentially that it's in the passage we're going to talk about this morning during the sermon. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, here's where heresy or heresis actually goes the way we normally and commonly think the word heresy, or what we think the word heresy means. And so somebody read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, so there's where it actually comes up the way you normally think of heresy, what was commonly understood. It's destructive heresies even denying their master, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, and so it is, it can be, and it is very theological when you get to chapter, 
2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It's very doctrinal and very theological, but that's not all it is. Okay? And if you pay attention to 2 Peter 2, you realize that the, the ones who are bringing in destructive heresies are actually ripping the churches apart. So, oh, that's why you're using, also why you're using heresy. It is divisive. It's destructive uh, in its theology, but also in divisiveness. Anyway, but there's the first time it actually really gets used specifically the way we commonly think of it. Okay? So before I go on, any questions? It does get hard. I mean, we say in our, in our membership vows that we will apply ourselves to the purity and peace of the church. So unfortunately, some make, P, make purity a capital P word and peace a little p word. Others do the opposite. Big P, peace, little p, purity. But we've got to keep them together, right? So it's extremely important. But instead of just immediately start talking about, what would you do in a marriage? If the wife says every time the husband did something that he she didn't like, she says, well, I'm going to leave you if you keep that up. Well, you got problems, girl, right? So, all right. But yes, and that's a, it is a, t- 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 it's not, a, I'm sorry, tightrope, but it is a tension as you walk that way, right? All right, anything else? So in the, summarize up to this point, what's the main thing that you've learned? Okay, and, it, and it's factious. Very good. And that's the root word of the word is the factiousness, right? And then, but it can, and it does, in Second Peter 2, it actually goes to the idea of the theological oddities and, and such. Okay, good. Well, let me give you some quotations just to make your eyes glaze over and wish you had more coffee. This is from Theopedia. Just Theopedia Online, uh, just look up under the word heresy. I thought this was a great statement, okay? We've got three different statements that are going to actually emphasize one aspect a little bit more than the other, okay? So just pay, go along with me here. So in Theopedia, while there is a temptation for Christians to label whatever is not in keeping with sound doctrine as heresy, the Bible seems to make the distinction that heresy is not merely the opposite of orthodoxy, Rather, heresy is a divisive teaching or practice which forces those who call themselves Christians to separate from it or face condemnation for it. John the Apostle gave a prime example of such a doctrine, denying the true nature of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, etc. In fact, do you remember what does John say about the false teachers in 1 John? He says, it's back in chapter 2 and 3. He says, I know they used to be with us, but they've really never been part of us. That's why they left us. Yes. And then you'll notice that all of 1 John, what John is concerned about is that the Christians he's writing to would be swayed to pull away and go follow them. So there's the divisiveness as well as following that which is inappropriate. Right? And so he, 
All the way through 1 John, he keeps going back to John 13, verses uh, uh, 34 and 35. Here's the new commandment, the new commandment, the new commandment, the new commandment. But he also gets into theology. He talks about who Jesus is, what he has done and doing, will do for his people, which shows you what the group that has pulled away and, and is ripping the church apart are trying to, why they're wrong, okay? That's what the, whoever wrote this particular article and insert in Theopedia, that's what they're referring to. Okay? Any questions on that before we move on? This one is from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. Uh, I picked that book up in the 1980s, and it's like been a classic um, book of theology, just a dictionary of theology. I highly recommend it if you ever uh, just want to go spend about 40 bucks or something for it. It'd be something to keep around worthwhile. Phil's probably got 20 copies at his house. And they wrote this. Heresy is a deliberate denial of revealed truth, coupled with the acceptance of error. The creeds were considered to contain the standard of truth and correct belief, and themselves formally contradicted various false teachings, especially Arianism, Paulinarianism, Nestorianism, Eutychianism, etc., so when you read that definition, I'm going to actually take a, uh, a little difference with the definition. But as you read that definition, what's something that points stands out to you? Okay, why does it stick out to you? Yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. It's a question I had. Moose. Yes, and we're going to talk about that. Yes, very good. But it does. It originates usually from one or a small group of founding members. Okay, and that's always interesting because, you know, Calvinism does not necessarily promote what John Calvin wrote. Okay, and Calvin's approach is not what a lot of Calvinists take, right? So that's a good example, right? Yeah. He was in the twilight zone completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, right. It does create an animal of its own, and that's something to keep in mind as well, okay? So it's a deli- so they're saying it's a deliberate denial of revealed truth. Have you ever sat down with? Um, oh, I have so many his stories. Uh, I sat down with some white supremacists one time who would claim to be Christians, and it was amazing how they just navigated Scripture to say that Christian that that the only people Jesus was saving were Israelites who happened to be white Anglo-Saxon Germanic peoples, and they navigated it so well. That it was like, after a while, you start going, have I been reading the Bible wrong? And then you have to step back, take a breath of fresh air, and go, 
No, you guys are off the, sorry, you're off the reservation, sorry. I'm in Oklahoma, I can say that. Moose, we're going to say something? Yeah, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Preach it. That's it. Exactly. I mean, so, and then you have to also remember, too, that folk religion reigns. I don't care where you are. Folk religion reigns, right? So in American folk religion, it looks very Roman Catholic, very Protestant, Presbyterian, very Baptistic. It just, there's a folk religion standard kind of a, kind of a thing that runs throughout. In fact, we talked about it in the leadership class the other day, right? And, and usually it's into areas that Bible doesn't even talk about. And then people, we all get wrapped up in it. But the creeds, is, that's a good point. The creeds is what keeps us grounded. Okay? Very good. All right. So that would be my concern, would be the deliberate denial, because there are some I think you will find, as we'll get into it later, uh, who aren't necessarily deliberately denying revealed truth. They're actually trying to go after revealed truth. Okay? And so we'll get, we'll get into that some more of that in a minute. Now here's Alistair McGrath. And I would recommend this book. I don't always agree with everything he says, but Alistair McGrath wrote a book called Heresy. It's an easy-to-read book. Uh, probably published in the mid-2000s. He's a British, he was a scientist, uh, but he, and he became a theologian. I think that's, uh, actually he got a PhD in biophysics or something like that, and then he became a theologian. And so he's really interesting reading. I like reading him. He's very, very chatty in a good sense that he's very conversational. Um, but his whole book on heresies is intriguing. And so here's what he says. Heresy is best seen as a form of Christian belief that more by accident than by design, I would take issue with him here, ultimately ends up subverting, destabilizing, or even destroying the core of Christian faith. Heresy represents certain ways of formulating the core themes of the Christian faith. I want you to hold that thought. Okay? Represents certain ways of formulating the core themes of the Christian faith, ways that are sooner or later recognized by the church to be dangerously inadequate or even destructive. Heresy lies in the shadow lands of faith. I like that land. That's a good C.S. Lewis line, but he didn't quote C.S. Lewis. But the shadow lands, right? That's a C.S. Lewis line. The shadow lands of faith, a failed attempt at orthodoxy whose intentions are likely to have been honorable, uh, by who, but whose outcomes were eventually discovered to be corrosive. The long definition 
Um, but I think this is right. I think this is exactly what you run across in most heresies, which if you want to call them Christian heresies, the ones that, that uh, swim around Christianity. Uh, I think that's exactly right. They're, they represent certain ways of formulating core themes of the Christian faith, ways that sooner or later become recognized as dangerously inadequate and even destructive. And so you hear me say sometimes that heresy comes when you take one truth or two truths, and you elevate it out of proportion with all the rest, it can become heretical. So if I start promoting the the sovereignty of God to the exclusion of or above any concept of human free will, just go read the confession. We have a whole chapter on free will, for crying out loud. But if I take it and push it up above and out of context, then I become a fatalist, which is heretical. Or if I take free will and push it all the way up and downplay and sub, you know, and just subsume God's sovereignty to where I very, then it becomes, you know, the total complete opposite of that, right? And it becomes problematic. So, taking the doc, the doctrine and taking it and elevating it to the wrong extent. And sometimes you see that with some of the early church heretics. They take one biblical concept. And they go run with it and raise it up, and then that makes them then reread the rest of Scripture and get out of balance completely. Okay? I think that's a good way to put it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. All good dogs go to heaven, says Disney. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else? We need to move on. Anybody else? Somewhat. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there's no perhaps here with Alice McGrath, right? Um, More by accident than by design. So he's making that opposite assertion. So I would actually say, depends on who you're talking about. All right? And I think that's a good way to put it. But I wanted to use both of those so we'd think about that. It's not always... I mean, I'll give you an example. I think Charles Taz Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, was a child of his age, late, 18, late 19th century American. It was all rugged individualism. He's at the YMCA, begins promoting his heresy, but it promotes it really seemed to me, wanting, from what I've read from, from him, wanting to get to the truth, Right? And then it gets really weird because now he goes too far and then it elevates this over here and then everything falls apart. And then you have the Watchtower Society and the end of the world has come already. You know, Or, or Jesus has returned, what, three, twice or three times? Just, okay, yeah. But there would be an example of someone who I think would probably, I think if you were to sit down with him over a, a soda pop, uh, you would find it more by accident than by design. But then there are others, I think, as you deal with them, you would find, oh, it's a very deliberate deal. Yes? Ah, yes. Yes. It can be very subtle. Yes. Yes. Be very subtle and to be very in your face. Yeah, that's why I. Yeah, 
That's why a lot of the concerns, it's funny, and if you go back and read, as you read the New Testament and just look at the, the, the concerns that the apostles have for what we would call heresy, it's in not every letter, but it's in a large portion of the letters, which tells you this is a big deal. Right? But, but when you read some of this stuff in its context, you realize some of it's very, very subtle and some of it's really in your face. It's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Edward's talking about deliberate denial. That one quotation is normally how we would define apostasy. But that's where I think the reason why they put that in there is because that's where it ends up very often. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. Here we go. Some examples real quick. We don't have time to get into number six, number 16 right now, but Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and their rebellion. We will actually read it. I was going to do it today uh, before the sermon, but I changed my mind. Uh, three days ago, we're going to do something different during the sermon to this Sunday, but we will come back next Sunday in the sermon to Dathan, uh, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and the rebellion. But there's a good example of hieresis, because what they do, if you remember the story, they come to Moses and they say to Moses, they say, you take too much on yourself. We're all, all of God's people are priests. Good doctrine. But then they forgot the rest of the story. And so they elevate that one dogmatic piece, elevate it, and create a schism. 250 men go with them, and it, it creates all kinds of problems. You know what God says about all that. They end up falling in, you know, into the crack of the earth. 250 of them die. And then the very next day, the people they have infected come back and revolt against Moses. The very next day. We want a new leader because we want to go back to Egypt. Those guys are right. So even after they're dead, they're still causing trouble. All right? But they didn't come up with what we would normally call heresy in the sense of, you know, they didn't talk about, well, Yahweh is no different than Ra. That would have been hugely what we would consider heretical. They, they actually were holding the Scripture. They just took one piece and went too far. Okay? That's the, that example. Let's go to two more ish, two ish more. How about that? So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And though Paul will not call this heresy, that's what, as we would normally think of it, that's what he's referring to here. Because he will just come right out and say they denied the faith. Which kind of leans towards Edward's comment earlier about uh, apostasy. So 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. Paul begins, this charge I entrust to you. What charge? The charge is clear back up in verse 3 and 4 and 5. As I urged you, I'm back at verse verse 3, 4 and 5 right now. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Notice, here's the charge, here's the aim. Do you hear how unifying the aim of the charge is? Love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now what happens? Let's go back down to verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare 
holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. Oh, that's two parts of the aim, back up in verse 5. And then it says, by rejecting this, this singular, what is this? The charge. The charge of verse 3. Is everybody tracking with me? The different doctrines, myths, and so forth. By rejecting this charge, by not rejecting those different doctrines and myths and so forth, by rejecting this charge, or this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among, them who, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's strong language. Yeah. So, there you hear the theological, what we would normally categorize as heresy, and notice what it's doing. What is it doing? What's the aim of the charge, verse 5? Yeah. Love for that issue from uh, pure faith, a good conscience, and so forth, right? And so that's the aim, and so therefore, to deny the charge, to actually take up the, these other doctrines and so forth, creates the opposite of that aim. So there's the sectarian aspect, but then notice what he says in the end, because they have, they have taken on these different doctrines and these myths and so forth, what have they ended up doing? This is your chance. Do what, Cindy? Yeah, yeah. They, they've denied, they've made shipwreck of the faith. Okay? All right. And then just stay right there in First Timothy. Go to chapter 6. Maybe the same group of people that, are all, that were all uh, part of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Maybe a different group. But look at chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And I'm going to ask Wes, Pastor Wes, to read. Yes, it would be. It's actually the last sentence of verse 2 and then all of 3, 4, and 5. I'll go back, go back to the last sentence of verse 2. All right, so what do you notice there? Just Do you see maybe both sides of heresy in that statement? Or different parts like that? Yes? Right? Okay, so there's... Notice that they take up these other... Uh, they, they have... Um, they do not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness. And so they're puffed up in their conceit which leads then to all of this strife and dissension. So you hear this, you hear, if Paul had put the word heresy in here, he would have had covered all the definitions. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Any questions on this up to this point? All right, we're almost done. Hang in there. So oftentimes the leaders, this goes to Moose's statement earlier, oftentimes the leaders were trying to answer our Lord's question, who do you say that I am? 
Very often they were trying to answer that question because it is baffling. It's hard for us to fathom how can Jesus be truly God and truly man, 100% both. And just think of your own explanations to your grandkids. If, if, if you were to go back and look, at, or your kids, if you were to go back and look at some of your early explanations, you'd say, hey, that earlier me was heretical, right? Because you, you missed it. Does it make sense? So they're trying to answer the question, who do you say that I am, uh, when Jesus asked that question. So, um, and so when you get into, who do, you, well, who do we say that you are? Well, how can we talk about you being, there's one God, and yet we believe you're God, and yet we believe, wait, I don't understand how we, so there's all, they're trying to answer that question. Okay? Which is a great question to ask, and actually, actually, oddly enough, because they got it wrong and it created all this discussion and argument and stuff, it's helped us to be able to define that answer. So it's actually been beneficial to some extent. So I suspect that many of the originators were genuine trying to answer, genuinely trying to answer that question. It's their followers very often who are a different story. Okay? So when we finally get to Nestorianism, if we ever get to Nestorianism, if you ever read Nestorius, he's not a heretic. It's just Cyril of Alexandria just didn't like Nestorius, and so he tried to find something against him and created, it looks like he concocted something. But the Nestorians were a problem. Does that make sense? All right. And so as a history professor of mine said to us, when we, I was working on my doctorate, so he's an Episcopal priest, he said, yes, many of them took the leap of faith and missed. I'm going to use that line until the day I die. I think that's a great line. It took a leap of faith in this. All right. So any questions up to this point? All right, so you got a little precursor to something I'm going to say during the sermon today, and I won't say very much about it. Um, but keep in mind that there's this, there's the theological aspect of getting those things wrong, but there's also this underneath sectarian aspect as well. So keep that together in your head, okay? That actually is very helpful, for me at least. Okay? Alright. So next week, we will dive into the Ebionites. What? Is that a skin disease? What? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. The Ebionites, okay? And go through what they uh, held to, as far as we can tell, from all that we know. And then I want you, if you want to look it up, you can look it up. There's uh, Theopedia is a good one to just jump into if you get online or whatever. If you've got a dictionary, a Christian theology dictionary, look at the Ebionites. And then uh, as we go through this, start, if you look it up, start asking, does this show up today? And I will give you a hint. There's a specific radio political speaker that it shows up in, right? And he's actually considered a Roman Catholic in good standing, but very clearly that he's along that line. Okay, so we'll go through all of those more or less. And there's the heresy zone. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Sure, there's no doubt that the evil one is exactly that. Yes. And I wouldn't, and actually I would say that very likely some, some of the big H heretics probably were doing just that. And that's what you see when you get into Second Peter 2. 
Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we get into 2 Peter 2, you'll see some of that specifically mentioned. So. Anybody else? Now we understand, yes. So when I see Pam walking down the hallway, I'm going to have this little zzzz going around behind her head, yes. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you want to be revealed. You want to communicate with us. You want us to know you. You preserve for us sacred scripture. You preserve for us this faith that has weathered the storm of two millennia and even more. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us that as we continue to pursue this trail and go down this path and look at these things, that, Lord, we would grow richer and fuller in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today we enter into your great assembly. and we, As we move in that direction, we pray that you would heighten our our awareness of where we are and who we are worshiping and that you would draw us in close and that, Lord, all of our singing, all of our praying, the sermon, the scripture reading, the sacraments, all of that, Lord, would exalt your name, would um, lift up your honor and reputation and also draw us even deeper into knowing you and loving you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen.